0: 3. Ivermectin By the summer of 2020, frontline physicians had discovered another COVID remedy that equaled HCQ in its staggering, life-saving efficacy. Five years earlier, two Merck scientists won the Nobel Prize for developing Ivermectin, IVM, a drug with unprecedented firepower against a wide range of human parasites including roundworm, hookworm, river blindness, and lymphatic filariasis. That salute was the Nobel Committee's only award to an infectious disease medication in 60 years. FDA approved IVM as safe and effective for human use in 1996. WHO includes IVM, along with HCQ, on its inventory of essential medicines its list of remedies so necessary, safe, efficacious, and affordable that WHO deems easy access to them as essential to satisfy the priority health care needs of the population. WHO has recommended administering ivermectin to entire populations to treat people who might have parasitic infections, meaning they consider it safe enough to give to people who haven't even been diagnosed. Millions of people have consumed billions of IVM doses as an anti-parasitic with minimal side effects. Ivermectin's package insert suggests that it is at least as safe as the most popular over-the-counter medications, including Tylenol and aspirin. Researchers at Japan's Kitasato Institute Published a 2011 paper describing IVM in terms almost never used for any other drug. There are few drugs that can seriously lay claim to the title of wonder drug, penicillin and aspirin being two that have perhaps had greatest beneficial impact on the health and well being of mankind. But ivermectin can also be considered alongside those worthy contenders based on its versatility, safety, and the beneficial impact that it has had and continues to have worldwide, especially on hundreds of millions of the world's poorest people. Three statues, at the Carter Center, at the headquarters of the World Bank, and at the headquarters of the World Health Organization, honor the development of ivermectin. Because since 2012, multiple in vitro studies have demonstrated that IVM inhibits the replication of a wide range of viruses. Nature magazine published a 2020 study reviewing 50 years of research, finding IVM highly effective against microorganisms, including some viruses, and reporting the results in animal studies demonstrating antiviral effects of ivermectin in viruses such as Zika, dengue, yellow fever. West Nile. An April 3, 2020 article entitled Lab Experiments Show Antiparasitic Drug Ivermectin Eliminates SARS-CoV-2 in Cells in 48 Hours by Australian researchers at Monash and Melbourne Universities and the Royal Melbourne Hospital first won IVM global attention as a potential treatment for COVID. The international press initially raved that this safe, inexpensive, well known, and readily available drug had demolished SARS COV2 in cell cultures. We found that even a single dose could essentially remove all viral RNA by forty eight hours, and that even at twenty-four hours there was a really significant reduction in it, said lead researcher Dr. Kylie Wagstaff. Based on this study, on May 8, 2020, Peru, then under siege by a crushing COVID endemic, adopted ivermectin in its national guidelines. Peruvian doctors already knew the medicine, widely prescribed it for parasites, and health authorities knew it was safe and were comfortable with it, recalls Dr. Pierre Cory COVID deaths dropped precipitously, by 14-fold, in the regions where the Peruvian government effectively distributed ivermectin. Reductions in deaths correlated with the extent of IVM distributions in all 25 states. In December 2020, Peru's new president, under pressure from WHO, severely restricted IVM availability, and COVID cases rebounded with deaths increasing 13-fold. In prophylaxis studies, ivermectin repeatedly demonstrated far greater efficacy against COVID than vaccines— at a fraction of the cost. In Argentina, for example, in the summer of 2020, Dr. Hector Carvalho conducted a randomized placebo-controlled trial of ivermectin as a preventative, finding 100% efficacy against COVID. Carvalho's team found no infections among the 788 workers who took weekly ivermectin prophylaxis, whereas 58% of the 407 controls had become ill with COVID-19. A later observational study from Bangladesh, also investigating ivermectin as a pre-exposure prophylaxis against COVID-19 among healthcare workers, found nearly as spectacular results. Only four of the 58 volunteers who took a minimal dose of ivermectin 12 mg once per month for four months, developed mild COVID 19 symptoms compared to 44 of the 60 healthcare workers who had declined the medication. Furthermore, a 2021 study suggested that a key biological mechanism of IVM, competitive binding with SARS CoV 2 spike protein, was not specific to any coronavirus variant and therefore. Unlike vaccines, ivermectin would probably be effective against all future variants. As early as March 1, 2020, some frontline ICU and ER doctors began using ivermectin in combination with HCQ in early treatment protocols. Dr. Jean-Jacques Ryder, a Belgian physician working in Miami, began using the drug March 15th and immediately saw an uptick in recoveries. He published an excellent paper on June 9th. Meanwhile, two Western physicians using ivermectin in Bangladesh also reported a very high rate of recoveries, even among patients in later states of illness. Since March 2020, when doctors first used IVM against COVID-19, more than 20 randomized clinical trials, RCTs, have confirmed its miraculous efficacy against COVID for both inpatient and outpatient treatment. Six of seven meta-analyses of IVM treatment RCTs completed in 2021 found notable reductions in COVID-19 mortality. The relevant studies all showed significant benefit for high-risk outpatients says the eminent Yale epidemiologist Dr. Harvey Reisch. The only studies where its performance was anything short of stellar were those that investigated its efficacy in patients in very late stages of COVID. But even late-stage patients showed benefits in almost all studies, although somewhat less dramatic. According to a 2020 review by McCullough et al., Numerous clinical studies, including peer-reviewed randomized controlled trials, showed large magnitude benefits of ivermectin in prophylaxis, early treatment, and also in late-stage disease management. Taken together, dozens of clinical trials that have now emerged from around the world are substantial enough to reliably assess clinical efficacy and infer a signal of benefit with acceptable safety. Early in January 2021, Dr. David Chesler, a geriatric specialist who had treated 191 infected patients since the previous spring at seven Virginia nursing homes, wrote to Dr. Fauci, claiming that he had achieved a mortality rate of 8% using ivermectin, half and 146,000 deaths less than the U.S. average in elder care facilities. In his letter to Dr. Fauci, Chesler attached a peer-reviewed case study documenting reports of similar efficacy from other countries. Neither Dr. Fauci nor anyone else from NIAID replied to Dr. Chesler's letter. The Annals of Dermatology and Venereology reported that in a French nursing home, all 69 residents, average age 90, and 52 staff survived a COVID-19 outbreak. As it turns out, they had all taken ivermectin for a scabies infestation. COVID decimated the surrounding community, but only seven elder home residents and four staff were affected, and all had mild illness. None required oxygen or hospitalization. Research suggests that ivermectin may work through as many as 20 separate mechanisms. Among them, ivermectin functions as an ionophore, facilitating transfer of zinc into the cells, which inhibits viral replication. Ivermectin stops replication of COVID-19, seasonal flu, and many other viruses through this and other mechanisms. For example, A March 2021 study by Choudhury et al. found that ivermectin was found as a blocker of viral replicase, protease, and human TMPRSS2, which could be the biophysical basis behind its antiviral efficiency. The drug also reduces inflammation via multiple pathways, thereby protecting against organ damage. Ivermectin furthermore impairs the spike protein's ability to attach to the ACE2 receptor on human cell membranes, preventing viral entry. Moreover, the drug prevents blood clots through binding to spike protein and also deters the spike protein from binding to CD147 on red blood cells, which would otherwise trigger clumping. When patients take IVM before exposure, The drug prevents infection, which halts onward transmission and helps protect the entire community. In March 2021, a published study by Peter McCullough and 57 other frontline physicians from multiple countries found that our early ambulatory treatment regimen was associated with estimated 87.6% and 74.9% reductions in hospitalization and death. Many other studies echo Dr. McCullough's results. The average reduction in mortality based on 18 trials is 75%, according to a January 2021 meta-analysis presentation to the NIH COVID-19 Treatment Guidelines Panel. A WHO-sponsored meta-review of 11 studies likewise suggests ivermectin can reduce COVID-19 mortality by as much as 83%. On average, used prophylactically, ivermectin prevented 86% of the adverse outcomes. Over all these studies, ivermectin protected 6 of every 7 people who used it to prevent COVID. And of 29 studies of early treatment of COVID using ivermectin, the average benefit was 66%. Graphs and tables reflecting the data discussed here can be found on the ivmmeta.org website. They are part of a much larger website that has compiled all completed, validated studies for each of 27 different treatments for COVID-19 at c19study.com. A January 2021 study in The Lancet found that ivermectin dramatically reduced the intensity and duration of symptoms and viral loading. In March 2020, Dr. Paul Merrick, Chief of Intensive Care Medicine at Eastern Virginia Medical School, began posting treatment guidelines for the care of COVID patients. Dr. Merrick, one of the best-known and well-published professors of intensive care medicine, recruited a team of the most highly respected and most published leading ICU physicians from across the globe to systematically research all possible approaches to this new virus. Soon, his organization, Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance, FLCCC, Created a website and posted their first treatment protocols in mid April 2020. By November 2020, the FLCCC doctors felt there was enough evidence to add ivermectin to their protocols. The data show the ability of the drug ivermectin to prevent COVID 19, to keep those with early symptoms from progressing to the hyperinflammatory phase of the disease and even to help critically ill patients recover. Peer reviewers green-lighted the clinical and scientific rationale for FLCCC's hospital protocols, and the Journal of Intensive Care Medicine published them in mid-December 2020. FLCCC also published on its website a one-page summary, regularly updated, of the clinical trial evidence for ivermectin. In December 2020, FLCCC President and Chief Medical Officer Dr. Pierre Corey, a pulmonary and critical care specialist, testified to the benefits of ivermectin before a number of COVID-19 panels, including the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs. In riveting testimony, Corey described six studies with a total of over 2,400 patients, all showing near-perfect prevention of transmission of this virus in people exposed to COVID-19. Three RCTs, randomized control studies, and multiple large case series involving over 3,000 patients showing stunning recovery among hospitalized patients, and four large randomized control trials involving 3,000 patients, all showing large and statistically significant reductions in mortality when treated with ivermectin. Two weeks later, on January 6, 2021, Dr. Corey spoke to the National Institutes of Health COVID-19 Treatment Guidelines Panel. Along with Eminence Grease, Dr. Paul Merrick, and other members of the Frontline COVID-19 Critical Care Alliance also presented positive data on ivermectin as did the WHO's meta-analysis author, Dr. Andrew Hill, who they had invited to present with them. The Financial Times followed with an article citing Hill's research for the WHO at the University of Liverpool. Hill's meta-analysis of six ivermectin studies showed a cumulative 75% reduction of risk of death in a subset of moderate to severe COVID-19 patients In whom the drug reduced inflammation and sped up elimination of the virus. Corey testified that IVM could reduce hospitalizations by almost 90% and deaths by almost 75%. Corey is one of a multitude of leading frontline physicians, including McCullough, Florida's Surgeon General Joe Latipo, Professor Paul Merrick, Dr. Joseph Verone and mRNA vaccine inventor Dr. Robert Malone, and many, many others who believe that early treatment with ivermectin would have avoided 75 to 80 percent of deaths and saved our country a trillion dollars in treasure. COVID resulted in 6 million hospitalizations and 700,000-plus deaths in America, says Dr. Corey. If HCQ and IVM had been widely used instead of systematically suppressed, we could have prevented 75% or at least 500,000 deaths and 80% of hospitalizations or 4.8 million. We could have spared the states hundreds of billions of dollars. Ten days after the FLCCC presentation on January 14th, the NIH's COVID-19 Treatment Guidelines Panel changed its previously negative recommendation to doctors regarding ivermectin to neither for nor against, cracking open the door just a little for physicians to use IVM as a therapeutic option. That is the same neutral recommendation the NIH committee members gave for monoclonal antibody and convalescent plasma treatments although the hopes were that both of these latter treatments would be effective when used early convalescent plasma a favorite of nearly all academic medical centers in the country failed miserably to show efficacy in numerous clinical trials said dr cory while monoclonal antibodies did prove effective in preventing hospitalization nih's neutral january 14th 2021 non recommendation issued in the face of strong evidence of ivermectin's safety and efficacy for COVID-19, was the first obvious signal of the agency's determination to suppress IVM. NIH claimed that there was insufficient evidence to recommend either for or against the use of ivermectin for the treatment of COVID-19. NIH shrouded its process for reaching that non-recommendation in secrecy, refusing to disclose the panel members who took part in the ivermectin deliberations and redacting their names from the documents that various Freedom of Information Act requests compelled the agency to produce. For a time, only Dr. Fauci, Francis Collins, and the panelists themselves knew their identities. NIH took extreme measures to keep the name secret, fighting all the way into federal court to shield the proceedings from transparency. As Collins and Dr. Fauci maneuvered to shade the process from sunlight, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, in response to a separate FOIA request, disclosed the group's nine members. Three members of the working group, Adora Adimora, Roger Bedimo, and David V. Glidden had disclosed financial relationships with Merck. A fourth member of the NIH Guidelines Committee, Susanna Nagy, received a $155 million grant to conduct further studies of ivermectin following the NIH non recommendation. NIAID's windfall payoff to Nagy would have been unlikely to go forward if the committee voted to approve IVM. Today, as Dr. Fauci moves the U.S. to eliminate all use of ivermectin, other countries are using more of it. In February 2021, the head of the Tokyo Metropolitan Medical Association held a press conference to call for adding ivermectin to its outpatient treatment protocol. Several Indian states had added ivermectin to their list of essential medicines to fight COVID-19. Indonesia's government not only authorized the use of the drug, but also created a website showing its real-time availability. After giving out third booster doses of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine, but still seeing high rates of COVID-19 hospitalizations and deaths, Israel started using ivermectin officially in September 2021, with the health insurance companies distributing ivermectin to high-risk citizens. El Salvador distributes IVM for free to all of its citizens. Nations whose residents have easy access to ivermectin invariably see immediate and dramatic declines in COVID deaths. Hospitals in Indonesia started using ivermectin, on July 22, 2021. By the first week of August, cases and deaths were plummeting. A December 2020 study showed that African and Asian countries that widely used ivermectin to treat and prevent various parasitic diseases enjoy some of the world's lowest reported COVID case and mortality rates. After controlling for confounding factors, including the human development index hdi the 11 african nations with membership in the african program for onchocerciasis aka river blindness for which ivermectin is standard of care apoc showed 28% lower mortality than non apoc african countries and an 8% lower rate of covid-19 infection on april 20th 2021 India's medical societies added ivermectin to the national protocol. According to Indian and International News, an aggressive campaign by the government of the Indian state of New Delhi, where COVID was raging, showed stunning success. The Desert Review reported that in April 2021, New Delhi was experiencing a COVID epidemic crisis the state government obliterated 97% of Delhi cases by distributing ivermectin. IVM crushed COVID in New Delhi, wrote Dr. Justice R. Hope, M.D. Following IVM's introduction, according to Trial Site News, cases dropped dramatically. At the national level, the massive surge that overtook the country at the beginning of April slowed exponentially after the new COVID-19 protocol was introduced, which includes the use of ivermectin and budesonide. India showed that early combination therapy, budesonide, ivermectin, doxycycline, and zinc, costing between 2 and $5, made COVID symptoms disappear within three to five days. By January 2021, a country of more than 1.3 billion people and a vaccine uptake of almost 7.6% nationally, had witnessed only 150,000 COVID deaths. By comparison, the U.S., with a population of 331 million, had recorded 357,000 deaths. Many Indian officials and doctors consider ivermectin a miracle drug for controlling the outbreak. A natural experiment involving two Indian states Uttar Pradesh and Tamil Nadu, with opposite COVID strategies, helped cement that impression. With 241 million people, Uttar Pradesh has the equivalent of two thirds of the United States population. According to the Indian Express, Uttar Pradesh was the first state in the country to introduce large scale prophylactic and therapeutic use of ivermectin. In May through June 2020, A team at Agra, Uttar Pradesh's fourth-largest city, led by Dr. Anshul Parikh, administered ivermectin to all RRT team members in the district on an experimental basis. None of them developed COVID-19, despite being in daily contact with patients who had tested positive for the virus. Uttar Pradesh State Surveillance Officer Viksendu Agrawal added that Based on the findings from Agra, the state government sanctioned the use of ivermectin as a prophylactic for all the contacts of COVID patients and began administering doses to infected persons. By September, the Uttar Pradesh government announced that the state's 33 districts are virtually devoid of active cases, despite having a vaccination rate of only 5.8%. The Hindustan Times reported. Overall, the state has a total of 199 active cases, while the positivity rate came down to less than 0.01%. The recovery rate meanwhile has improved to 98.7%. When America's vaccination rate was at 54%, cases were still rising and governments were still imposing draconian restrictions. As of August 10th, 2021, the United States saw 161,990 new cases and 1,049 new deaths. Uttar Pradesh, in contrast, saw only 19 new cases and one death, more than 1,000 times lower than the U.S. Dr. Agrawal attributes the timely introduction of ivermectin to ending the first COVID wave. Despite being the state with the largest population base and a high population density, we have maintained a relatively low positivity rate and cases per million of population. According to Trial Site News, despite the Indian government's success in using ivermectin and budesonide, the media hasn't shown interest in sharing this news Instead, the comments continue to promote remdesivir as an effective drug, and the few media outlets that do refer to ivermectin call it an unproven medicine or an outdated treatment. It is as if there are two different treatment realities, one on the ground and one in the local health systems. Millions of patients are now receiving ivermectin, yet one would never know by the media topics. Meanwhile, the Indian state of Tamil Nadu continued using Anthony Fauci's protocol of administering remdesivir, outlawing ivermectin, and discouraging early treatment. According to the Indian Times, Tamil Nadu continues to experience cases and fatalities that perfectly match the U.S. catastrophe. The massive and overwhelming evidence in favor of ivermectin includes scientist Dr. Tess Lawrie's highly regarded, peer-reviewed meta-analysis. Dr. Lawry assessed 15 trials, finding a cumulative benefit of IVM in reducing deaths of 62%. Although the data quality of the ivermectin for prevention studies was less strong, they showed that ivermectin prophylaxis reduced COVID infections by 86%. Dr. Lawrie, a world-renowned data researcher and scientific consultant, is an iconic eminence among global public health scientists and agencies. The Desert Review has deemed her the conscience of medicine because of her reputation for competence, precision, and integrity. Lawrie's consulting group, the Evidence-Based Medicine Consultancy Limited, performs the scientific reviews that develop and support guidelines for global public health agencies, including the WHO and European governments, as well as international scientific and health consortia like the Cochrane Collaboration. Her clients have included a retinue of virtually all the larger government regulators now involved in the suppression of IVM and other repurposed drugs. At the end of December 2000, Dr. Lawrie happened on a YouTube video of Pierre Cory's Senate testimony on ivermectin. Her interest peaked. Dr. Laurie conducted a pragmatic, rapid review between Christmas and New Year's to validate the 27 studies from the medical literature that Cory cited, assessing each of them for quality and power. After a week, I realized it was a go. IVM's safety was well-established as a widely used dewormer, she told me. I was startled by the magnitude of its benefits. Its efficacy against COVID was consistently clear in multiple studies. I thought that all these people were dying, and this was a moral obligation. This drug should have been rolled out. Dr. Lawry dispatched an urgent letter to British Health Minister Matt Hancock on January 4th, with her rapid review attached. She never heard back from Hancock. But in a suspicious coincidence, someone leaked a meta-review by WHO researcher Andrew Hill to the Daily Mail. Three days later, Hill posted a preprint of his study. In the one month since he testified enthusiastically beside Dr. Corey in favor of ivermectin before the January 13th NIH panel, Hill had made a neck-wrenching volt-foss. Cumulatively, the seven studies in Hill's original meta-review still showed a dramatic reduction in hospitalizations and deaths among patients receiving IVM. The leaked version of Hill's meta-review included all the same papers that formerly supported his gung-ho promotion of IVM as a miraculous cure for COVID. Hill had altered only his conclusions. Now, he claimed that those studies comprised a low quality of evidence, and so although they yielded a highly positive result, he'll assign the result a low certainty. He could then declare that WHO should not recommend IVM without first performing long-term, randomized, placebo-controlled studies that would require many months, if not longer. Someone got to him, suggests Corey. Someone sent him the memo. Andrew Hill has been captured by some really dark forces. On January 7th, Dr. Lawry summarized the overwhelming evidence from her rapid review in a video directed at British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, urging him to break the logjam and roll out IVM immediately. Her video, says Dr. Corey, was absolutely convincing. She forwarded the video appeal to the British and South African prime ministers on January 7th. She heard nothing from either. On January 13th, 2021, Dr. Lawrie used her convening power to assemble an invitation-only symposium of 20 of the world's leading experts, including researchers, physicians, patient advocates, and government consultancy advisors to review her meta-analysis and make evidence-based recommendations on the use of ivermectin to prevent and treat COVID-19. She called the conference the British Ivermectin Recommendation Development, or BIRD, study. Tess Laurie did exactly what WHO should have done, says Dr. Corey. She made a thorough, open, and transparent review of all the scientific evidence. During the day-long conference, the conferees reviewed each study in Dr. Lawry's rapid meta-review, agreeing that the evidence supported an immediate rollout. Before adjourning, Dr. Lawry and the scientific panel committed to conducting a full-scale, Cochrane-style meta-review of all the scientific literature. Due to the mortal urgencies, They pledged to reconvene in a much larger group on January 14th. In the meantime, Dr. Lawry managed to reach Andrew Hill by phone on January 6th, two days after the Daily Mail leaked his meta-review. She informed him that some of the leading lights of science had agreed to collaborate on the Cochrane-style meta-review, and she proposed that Hill should join the effort as a collaborator. She offered to share her data with Hill, and after the call, she sent him her spreadsheets. Dr. Lawrie had coordinated many Cochrane Reviews for WHO and was indisputably among the world's ranking experts in systematically reviewing study data. Dr. Lawrie invited Hill to co-author the Cochrane Review and to attend the next BIRD meeting on January 13th. It was an exciting opportunity. Under normal circumstances, Hill should have pounced on this chance to serve as lead author with some of the world's most prestigious researchers in creating a professional, bulletproof, evidence-to-decision framework for the WHO. He was nevertheless noncommittal. He did agree to review Dr. Lowry's spreadsheet. Dr. Lowry and her colleagues launched a marathon effort to conduct a brand-new review of all published studies in the medical literature from scratch. Assessing each for power and bias. She presented her draft to the exclusive Bird Group in mid January. All agreed that the common sense approach was to release ivermectin. She submitted the protocol to Cochrane for external scientific review. British and Scandinavian scientists founded the Cochrane Collaboration in 1993 to address pharmaceutical industry corruption that had become pervasive in clinical trials for new drugs. Today, the Cochrane Collaboration is a coalition of 30,000 independent scientists and 53 large research institutions who volunteer to routinely review industry data using evidence-based science to advise regulatory agencies. Cochrane seeks to restore integrity and standardized scientific methodologies to the crooked realm of drug development trials. Cochrane uses standardized parameters and rigorous methodologies for evaluating evidence. Cochrane reviewers systematically assess the power of each individual study within the meta-review, interpreting data to identify and discount for bias, and to score each study as high, moderate, or low-certainty evidence and to determine whether it's acceptable to pool the data in a single meta-review. Dr. Lawry knew that to make its ivermectin determination, WHO would rely on Hill's study and another study from McMaster University known as the TOGETHER trial. McMaster was hopelessly and irredeemably conflicted. NIH gave McMaster 1,081,000 and $541 in 2020 and 2021. A separate group of McMaster University scientists was, at that time, engaged in developing their own COVID vaccine, an effort that would never pay dividends if WHO recommended ivermectin as standard of care. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation was funding the massive together trial testing ivermectin, HCQ, and other potential drugs against COVID in Brazil and other locations. Critics accused Gates and the McMaster researchers of designing that study to make ivermectin fail. Among other factors, the study targeted a population that was already heavily utilizing ivermectin, creating a confounding variable placebo recipients could obtain over-the-counter ivermectin that would clearly hide efficacy. McMaster University researchers would certainly know that a positive recommendation for IVM would cost their university hundreds of millions. The TOGETHER trial organizer was Gates trial designer Ed Mills, a scientist with heavy conflicts with pharma and a reputation as a notorious industry biostitute. Dr. Lawry knew that the only way to salvage the WHO guidelines and produce a high-quality scientific study, was to persuade Mills to do a full-scale Cochrane collaboration meta-analysis. The following week, she spoke to Hill again, this time by Zoom. The Zoom call was recorded. During her first conversation with Hill, Dr. Lawry had concluded that the techniques that Hill employed throughout his meta-review were deeply flawed and that Hill lacked the experience to perform a systematic review or a meta-analysis. I was surprised he had been given the job. In fact, the transcript of her January 13 conversation suggests that Hill was completely unfamiliar with the requirements of a systematic review, which requires researchers to evaluate and score each study using uniform criteria to assess power and the risk of bias, And to conduct a sensitivity analysis to exclude studies with high risk of bias. This kind of review necessarily judges the reliability of the authors of each participating study. The Cochrane reviewers must be prepared to make harsh judgments about the work quality, integrity, and potential prejudices of each listed co author of all the studies included in their review, based in part on their individual competence and the financial conflicts of interest potentially affecting each researcher. But Hill, bizarrely, had included the names of all the authors of all of his seven accumulated studies on the list of the co-authors of his meta-review. That's the equivalent of asking the catcher in a baseball team to also play the umpire, says Dr. Corey. No one with any familiarity with the game would make that mistake. Hill was supposed to be judging these authors. Instead, he treated them as his collaborators. Dr. Lawry gently informed Hill that that was irregular for a meta-analysis, adding, When you do a systematic review, you usually don't include the authors of the studies because that inherently biases your conclusions. It's got to be independent. Dr. Lawry explained that Hill's paper in addition to listing as co-authors the researchers whose work he was supposed to be evaluating, makes no pretense of systematically grading evidence according to standardized protocols. Those deficiencies make it utterly useless, she explained, for providing clinical guidelines to the WHO. Furthermore, Hill's meta-review looked at only one outcome, the deaths of COVID patients, which was only a small subset of the criteria and endpoints in the studies he had analyzed. She told Hill, You don't just do a meta-analysis when there's all those other outcomes that you didn't even meta-analyze. You just meta-analyze the death outcome using only a fraction of the available evidence and then said, oh, we need more studies. Dr. Lawry asked Hill to explain his U-turn on ivermectin which his own analysis found overwhelmingly effective. How can you do this, she inquired politely. You are causing irreparable harm. Hill explained that he was in a tricky situation because his sponsors had put pressure on him. Hill is a University of Liverpool virologist who serves as an advisor to Bill Gates and the Clinton Foundation. He told me his sponsor was Unitaid. UNITAID is a quasi-governmental advocacy organization funded by the BMGF and several European countries France, the United Kingdom, Norway, Brazil, Spain, the Republic of Korea, and Chile to lobby governments to finance the purchase of medicines from pharmaceutical multinationals for distribution to the African poor. Its primary purpose seems to be protecting the patent and intellectual property rights of pharmaceutical companies, which, as we shall see, is the priority passion for Bill Gates, and to ensure their prompt and full payment. About 63% of its funding comes from a surtax on airline tickets. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation holds a board seat and chairs Unitaid's Executive Committee and the BMGF has given Unitaid $150 million since 2005. Various Gates-funded surrogate and front organizations, like Global Fund, Gavi, and UNICEF, also contribute, as does the pharmaceutical industry. The BMGF and Gates personally own large stakes in many of the pharmaceutical companies that profit from this boondoggle. Gates also uses Unitaid to fund corrupt science by tame and compromised researchers like Hill that legitimizes his policy directives to the WHO. Unitaid gave $40 million to Andrew Hill's employer, the University of Liverpool, four days before the publication of Hill's study. Hill, a Ph.D., confessed that the sponsors were pressuring him to influence his conclusion. When Dr. Lawry asked who was trying to influence him, Hill said, I mean, I I think I'm in a very sensitive position here. Dr. Lawry, lots of people are in sensitive positions. They're in hospital, in ICUs, dying, and they need this medicine. Dr. Hill, well, Dr. Lawry, this is what I don't get, you know, because you're not a clinician. You're not seeing people dying every day, and this medicine prevents deaths by 80%. So 80% of those people who are dying today don't need to die because there's ivermectin. Dr. Hill, there are a lot, as I said, there are a lot of different opinions about this. As I say, some people simply, Dr. Lowry, we are looking at the data. It doesn't matter what other people say. We are the ones who are tasked with looking at the data and reassuring everybody that this cheap and effective treatment will save lives. It's clear. You don't have to say, well, so-and-so says this and so-and-so says that. It's absolutely crystal clear. We can save lives today if we can get the government to buy ivermectin. Dr. Hill, well, I, I don't think it's as simple as that because you, you've got trials. Dr. Lowry, it is as simple as that. We don't have to wait for studies. We have enough evidence now that shows that ivermectin saves lives. It prevents hospitalization. It saves the clinical staff going to work every day and being exposed. And frankly, I'm shocked at how you are not taking responsibility for that decision. And you still haven't told me who is influencing you, who is giving you that opinion, because you keep saying you're in a sensitive position. I appreciate you are in a sensitive position. If you're being paid for something and you're being told to support a certain narrative, that is a sensitive position. So then you kind of have to decide, well, do I take this payment? Because in actual fact, you can see your false conclusions are going to harm people. So maybe you need to say, I'm not going to be paid for this. I can see the evidence and I will join the Cochrane team as a volunteer like everybody on the Cochrane team is a volunteer. Nobody's being paid for this work. Dr. Hill, I think fundamentally we're reaching the same conclusion about the survival benefit. We're both finding a significant effect on survival. Dr. Lawry, no, I'm grading my evidence. I'm saying I'm sure of this evidence. I'm saying I'm absolutely sure it prevents deaths. There is nothing as effective as this treatment. What is your reluctance? Whose conclusion is that? Hill then complains again that outsiders are influencing him. Dr. Lawry, you keep referring to other people. It's like you don't trust yourself. If you were to trust yourself, you would know that you have made an error and you need to correct it because you know in your heart that this treatment prevents death. Dr. Hill, well, I know. I know for a fact that the Data right now is not going to get the drug approved. Dr. Lawry, But, Andy, know this will come out. It will come out that there were all these barriers to the truth being told to the public and to the evidence being presented. So, please, this is your opportunity just to acknowledge the truth in your review, change your conclusions, and come on board with this Cockrum review, which will be definitive. It will be the review that shows the evidence and gives the proof. This was the consensus on Wednesday night's meeting with 20 experts. Hill protests that NIH will not agree to recommend IVM. Dr. Lawrie, yeah, because the NIH is owned by the vaccine lobby. Dr. Hill, that's not something I know about. Dr. Lawry, well... All I'm saying is this max of corruption, and you are being played. Dr. Hill I don't think so. Dr. Lawry Well, then, you have no excuse, because your work in that review is flawed. It's rushed. It is not properly put together. Dr. Lawry points out that Hill's study ignores a host of clinical outcomes that affect patients She scolds Hill for ignoring the beneficial effects of IVM as prophylaxis, its effect on speed to PCR negativity, on the need for mechanical ventilation, on reduced admissions to ICUs, and other outcomes that are clinically meaningful. She adds, This is bad research. Bad research. So at this point, I don't know. You seem like a nice guy, but I am really, really worried about you. Dr. Hill. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's... it's a difficult situation. Dr. Lowry. No, you might be in a difficult situation. I'm not, because I have no paymaster. I can tell the truth. How can you deliberately try and mess it up? You know? Dr. Hill. It's not messing it up. It's saying that we need... we need a short time to look at some more studies. Dr. Lowry. So, how long are you going to let people carry on dying unnecessarily? Up to you? What is, what is the timeline that you've allowed for this then? Dr. Hill. Well, I think, I think that it goes to WHO and the NIH and the FDA and the EMEA. And they've got to decide when they think enough's enough. Dr. Lawry. How do they decide? Because there's nobody giving them good evidence synthesis, because yours is certainly not good. Dr. Hill. Well, when yours comes out, which will be in the very near future, at the same time, there'll be other trials producing results, which will nail it with a bit of luck, and we'll be there. Dr. Laurie. It's already nailed. Dr. Hill. No, that's... That's not the view of the WHO and the the FDA. Dr. Lawry. you'd rather risk loads of people's lives. Do you know if you and I stood together on this? We could present a united front, and we could get this thing. We could make it happen. We could save lives. We could prevent British National Health Service doctors and nurses, people from getting infected we could prevent the elderly from dying. These are studies conducted around the world in several different countries, and they're all saying the same thing. Plus, there's all sorts of other evidence to show that it works. Randomized controlled trials do not need to be the be-all and end-all. But even based on the randomized controlled trials, it is clear that ivermectin works. It prevents deaths And it prevents harms and it improves outcomes for people. I can see we're getting nowhere because you have an agenda. Whether you like it or not, whether you admit to it or not, you have an agenda. And the agenda is to kick this down the road as far as you can. So, we are trying to save lives. That's what we do. I'm a doctor and I'm going to save as many lives as I can. And I'm going to do that through getting the message out on ivermectin. Okay. Unfortunately, your work is going to impair that, and you seem to be able to bear the burden of many, many deaths, which I cannot do. Then she asks again, Would you tell me? I would like to know who pays you as a consultant through WHO. Dr. Hill. It's Unitaid. Dr. Lawry. All right. So who helped to, whose conclusions are those on the review that you've done? Who is not listed as an author? Who's actually contributed? Dr. Hill. Well, I mean, I don't really want to get into, uh, I mean it, unitate Dr. Lawry. I think that it needs to be clear. I would like to know who, who are these other voices that are in your paper that are not acknowledged? Does UNITATE have a say? Do they influence what you write? Dr. Hill. UNITATE has a say in the conclusions of the paper. Yeah. Dr. Lawry. Okay. So, who is it in UNITATE, then? Who is giving you opinions on your evidence? Dr. Hill. Well, it's just the people there. I I don't, Dr. Lawry. So, they have a say in your conclusions. Dr. Hill. Yeah doctor Lawry, could you please give me a name of someone in Unitate I could speak to, so that I can share my evidence and hope to try and persuade them to understand it. Doctor Hill Oh I'll have a think about who to to offer you with a name, but I I mean this is very difficult because I'm you know I, I've got this role where I'm supposed to produce this paper and we're in a very difficult delicate balance dr lawry interjects who are these people who are these people saying this dr hill yeah it's a very strong lobby dr lawry okay look i think i can see we're kind of at a dead end because you seem to have a whole lot of excuses but um you know that to to justify bad research practice So I'm really, really sorry about this, Andy. I I really, really wish, and you've explained quite clearly to me in both what you've been saying and in your body language, that you're not entirely comfortable with your conclusions, that you're in a tricky position because of whatever influence people are having on you, and including the people who have paid you and who have basically written that conclusion for you. Dr. Hill, you've just got to understand I'm in a difficult position. I'm trying to steer a middle ground, and it's extremely hard. Dr. Lawry. Yeah. Middle ground. The middle ground is not a middle ground. You've taken a position right to the other extreme, calling for further trials that are going to kill people. So this will come out, and you will be culpable. And I can't understand why you don't see that, because the evidence is there, and you are not just denying it but your work's actually actively obfuscating the truth and this will come out. So I'm really sorry. As I say, you seem like a nice guy, but I think you've just kind of been misled somehow. Hill promised he would do everything in his power to get Ivermectin approved. If she would give him six weeks, Dr. Hill. Well, what I hope is that this, this stalemate that we're in doesn't last very long. It lasts a matter of weeks, and I guarantee I will push for this to last for as short amount of time as possible. Dr. Lawry. So, how long do you think this stalemate will go on for? How long do you think you will be paid to make this stalemate go on? Dr. Hill. From my side, okay. I think end of February we will be there six weeks. Dr. Lawry. How many people die every day? Dr. Hill. Oh, sure. I mean, you know, 15,000 people a day. Dr. Lawry, 15,000 people a day times six weeks. Because at this rate, all other countries are getting ivermectin except the UK and the USA. Because the UK and the USA and Europe are owned by the vaccine lobby. Dr. Hill. My goal is to get the drug approved and to do everything I can to get it approved so that it reaches the maximum, Dr. Lawry. You're not doing everything you can, because everything you can would involve saying to those people who are paying you, I can see this prevents deaths, so I'm not going to support this conclusion anymore, and I'm going to tell the truth. Dr. Hill. What? I've got to do my responsibilities to get as much support as I can to get this drug approved as quickly as possible. Dr. Lawry. Well... You're not going to get it approved the way you've written that conclusion. You've actually shot yourself in the foot, and you've shot us all in the foot. All of everybody trying to do something good. You have actually completely destroyed it. Dr. Hill. Okay. Well, that's where we'll, I guess we'll have to agree to differ. Dr. Lowry. Yeah. Well, I don't know how you sleep at night, honestly. At the conclusion of the January 14th Bird Conference, Dr. Lowry delivered a monumental closing address that should be recorded among the most important speeches in the annals of medical history. Dr. Lowry spoke out at considerable personal risk, since her livelihood and career largely rely on the very agencies she targeted for criticism. Dr. Lowry began by endorsing the miraculous efficacy of IVM. Had ivermectin been employed in 2020, when medical colleagues around the world first alerted the authorities to its efficacy, millions of lives could have been saved, and the pandemic, with all its associated suffering and loss, brought to a rapid and timely end. Dr. Lowry told the audience that the suppression of ivermectin was a signal that pharma's pervasive corruption had turned a medical cartel against patients and against humanity. The story of ivermectin has highlighted that we are at a remarkable juncture in medical history. The tools that we use to heal and our connection with our patients are being systematically undermined by relentless disinformation stemming from corporate greed. The story of ivermectin shows that we, as a public, have misplaced our trust in the authorities and have underestimated the extent to which money and power corrupts. Dr. Lowry called for reform of the method used to analyze scientific evidence. They who design the trials and control the data also control the outcome. So, this system of industry-led trials needs to be put to an end. Data from ongoing and future trials of novel COVID treatments must be independently controlled and analyzed. Anything less than total transparency cannot be trusted. Dr. Lawry called out the corruption of modern medicine by Big Pharma and other interests and attributed the barbaric suppression of IVM to the single-minded obsession with more profitable vaccines. Since then... Hundreds of millions of people have been involved in the largest medical experiment in human history. Mass vaccination was an unproven novel therapy. Hundreds of billions will be made by Big Pharma and paid for by the public. With politicians and other non-medical individuals dictating to us what we are allowed to prescribe to the ill, we as doctors have been put in a position such that our ability to uphold the Hippocratic Oath is under attack." She hinted at Gates's role in the suppression. At this fateful juncture, we must therefore choose, will we continue to be held ransom by corrupt organizations, health authorities, big pharma and billionaire sociopaths, or will we do our moral and professional duty to do no harm and always do the best for those in our care? The latter includes urgently reaching out to colleagues around the world to discuss which of our tried and tested safe older medicines can be used against COVID. Never before has our role as doctors been so important, because never before have we become complicit in causing so much harm. Finally, Dr. Lowry suggested that physicians form a new World Health Organization that represents the interests of the people not corporations and billionaires, a people-centered organization. On October 1, 2021, Hill resurfaced on Twitter, touting his upcoming lecture, ironically titled, Effects of Bias and Potential Medical Fraud in the Promotion of Ivermectin. Says Pierre Corey in disgust, Andrew is apparently making a living now accusing the doctors and scientists who support ivermectin of medical fraud. Dr. Corey adds, Hill and his backers are some of the worst people in human history. They are responsible for the deaths of millions. Andrew Hill's emergence is only one front in the war by NIH and the medical media cartel to block doctors from using IVM. FDA issued its first warning about IVM on April 10, 2020 in reaction to ivermectin studies by Australia's Monash University and American physician Dr. Jean-Jacques Ryder, claiming on its website, additional testing is needed to determine whether ivermectin might be safe or effective to prevent or treat coronavirus or COVID-19. When Dr. Corey's explosive December 8, 2020 Senate testimony describing the peer-reviewed science supporting ivermectin went viral, prescriptions for ivermectin from U.S. doctors exploded. Americans were getting legitimate prescriptions filled at pharmacies up to 88,000 scripts in a single week. The truth of the drug's benefits was going viral, and the last thing Dr. Fauci et al. could tolerate was an effective treatment for COVID. Something needed to be done. The government moved aggressively to block its use. On December 24th, in what seemed like a trial balloon, the South African government quietly banned the importation of ivermectin. YouTube soon scrubbed Corey's video, and Facebook blocked him. Then, in March 2021, the U.S. FDA, the European Medicines Association (EMA) and the WHO issued statements advising against the use of ivermectin for COVID-19. The EMA said it should not be used at all. The WHO, echoing its strategy for tanking hydroxychloroquine, said ivermectin's use should be limited to clinical trials. The high costs of running a clinical trial and their reliance on NIH NIAID, GATES, or pharma funding means that their results may be easily controlled. FDA issued a much firmer directive. You should not use ivermectin to treat or prevent COVID-19. Here are the FDA guidelines. The FDA has not authorized or approved ivermectin for use in preventing or treating COVID-19 In humans or animals, ivermectin is approved for human use to treat infections caused by some parasitic worms and head lice and skin conditions like rosacea. Currently, available data do not show ivermectin is effective against COVID-19. Clinical trials assessing ivermectin tablets for the prevention or treatment of COVID-19 in people are ongoing. Taking large doses of ivermectin is dangerous. If your health care provider writes you an ivermectin prescription, fill it through a legitimate source such as a pharmacy and take it exactly as prescribed. On July 28, 2021, a front-page Wall Street Journal headline asked, Why is the FDA attacking a safe, effective drug? On August 16, 2021, two weeks after the Wall Street Journal article, CDC ordered doctors to stop prescribing IVM. On August 17, 2021, the NIAID recommended against ivermectin's use to combat the novel coronavirus. On August 26, 2021, CDC sent out an emergency warning using its health alert network. In early September 2021, following the FDA, CDC, NIAID's lead, the American Medical Association, AMA, the American Pharmacists Association, APHA, and the American Society of Health System Pharmacists, ASHP, called on doctors to immediately stop prescribing ivermectin for COVID outside of clinical trials. These influential organizations are largely dependent on pharmaceutical industry largesse. On September 2, 2021, on MSNBC Tonight, Chris Hayes interviewed the president of the AMA, Dr. Gerald Harmon, who said that the AMA now advises doctors against prescribing ivermectin except in clinical trials. He explained that the AMA is taking this unprecedented step because ivermectin isn't approved by the FDA for treatment of COVID 19. He failed to mention that up to 30% of prescriptions written by America's doctors are for off label uses not approved by the FDA. The AMA, meanwhile, ignored the cascading toll of injuries and deaths from big pharma's injections while endorsing the revolutionary notion that FDA should be the arbiter of what doctors can and cannot use to heal their patients. Physicians traditionally have had unlimited authority to prescribe FDA-approved medications for any purpose, as long as they explain the risks and benefits to their patients. Suddenly, the AMA and its industry patrons and captive regulators moved to limit the doctor's authority to treat patients. FDA has no authority to regulate the practice of medicine. As Stephen Hahn, FDA's last commissioner, no one has been appointed to the role since he left, pointed out in October 2020, off-label prescribing is between a doctor and his, her patient. The sad episode, still ongoing, raises questions one expects doctors to be asking. Is ivermectin a safe drug? Will it do harm? Are we in a situation in which authorities have not provided a proven therapeutic for COVID-19? Do treating physicians have the freedom to try medicines they have reason to believe might be helpful, particularly when there is no reason to believe the medicine will be hurtful? Doctors who answered those questions for themselves and prescribed ivermectin after early September faced growing scrutiny and heavy-handed tactics, including censorship, threats to their license and board certification, and other repressive policies from governments and medical boards. Pharmacists, including the large chains like CVS and Walmart, refused to fill prescriptions. For the first time in history, pharmacies were telling doctors what they can and cannot prescribe, says Dr. McCullough. The directives shattered the traditional sacred relationship between doctors and patients that the profession had nurtured and protected since Hippocrates. The medical profession has long told doctors that their single obligation is to their patients. The AMA's declaration helped march doctors into their new role as agents of state policy. The state policy is to prescribe treatments, not based upon the health interests of the individual patient, but based upon the perceived best interests of the state. The suppression of HCQ and IVM is one of the greatest tragedies and crimes of the modern era, Dr. Peter Bregan told me. Dr. Bregan, who has been called The Conscience of Psychiatry by author Candice Pert, is the author of Talking Back to Prozac, and covid-19 and the global predators in florida and south carolina blue cross blue shield bcbs sent mass mailings to physicians notifying them that bcbs would no longer pay insurance claims for ivm and threatened audits of any physician who wrote prescriptions for the drug in january 2021 Syracuse, New York attorney Ralph Larigo filed for an injunction on behalf of a critically ill hospital patient, the mother of one of his clients, against a local hospital that was resisting family requests to treat her with ivermectin. A state superior court judge immediately granted Larigo's request. Within 12 hours of taking ivermectin, the dying woman miraculously began to recover. Two weeks later, Larigo obtained a second injunction for a similarly situated client who also made a preternatural recovery. When local news organizations reported Larigo's IVM victories, his law office telephone began ringing off the hook. Within a few weeks, he was working 20-hour days struggling to keep up with a new cottage industry filing injunctions in New York and Ohio courts to help dying patients get access to ivermectin. To date, Larigo has been in 30 courts. The people who I've been able to get the ivermectin to on time have all lived. The others have died. He has obtained dozens of injunctions for patients, precipitating a host of sudden recoveries. The hospitals are so arrogant, they are letting the people die. They get $37,000 to put them on the vent, and they just let them die. Merck's Steps to Kill Its Baby During the early industry offensive against HCQ, one of the drug's principal manufacturers, Sanofi, suddenly detected safety concerns with HCQ that it had never noticed during decades of profitable pre-pandemic production. In a remarkable coincidence, on February 4, 2021, Merck similarly discovered a concerning lack of safety data in the majority of studies regarding IVM. Merck was ivermectin's original manufacturer and had formerly boasted of ivermectin as its wonder drug. During the 40 years that it marketed the drug worldwide, Merck had never spoken of these worrisome safety signals. Since 1987, Merck has given billions of doses to the developing world for scabies, river blindness, lymphatic filariasis, elephantiasis, and assorted parasites without any safety alarms. In 2016, Merck distributed 900 million doses in Africa alone. The drug is safe and has minor side effects, a Merck spokesman said at the time. Unlike previous treatments, which had serious, sometimes fatal, side effects, ivermectin is safe and can be used on a wide scale. It is also a very effective treatment and has single-handedly transformed the lives of millions of people. What prompted Merck's sudden safety concerns? Merck's exclusive ivermectin patent rights expired in 1996, and dozens of generic drug companies now produce ivm for about 40 cents a dose badly diminishing ivermectin's profit profile for merck furthermore only 10 days before merck discovered its concerns about ivm merck signed a manufacturing partnership for the novavax and emergent biosolutions covid vaccine as it moved into final trials furthermore in december 2020 Merck had announced a $356 million supply deal by which NIAID agreed to purchase 60 to 100,000 doses of an experimental COVID pill called MK7110. Merck paid $425 million to buy the Onco Immune Company, which developed the drug as part of the deal. Bill Gates' quasi governmental organization, the International AIDS Vaccine Initiative, IAVI, agreed to distribute the product in developing nations. But most importantly, ivermectin is also a low-profit competitor for another new Merck product for COVID-19, a high-cost antiviral drug, malnupiravir, for which Merck had the highest financial ambitions. Ironically, molnupiravir, a copycat formula, utilized an identical mechanism of action as ivermectin. That drug will retail at around $700 per course, but only if Merck can kill its cheap rival. It's worth a moment to consider Molnupiravir's pedigree. Because the drug emerged from a shadowy black market of spies, pharmaceutical mountebanks, biosecurity profiteers, and Pentagon contractors who played key roles in militarizing and monetizing the COVID pandemic, and whom you will meet later in this book. The CIA officer and bioweapons developer Michael Callahan, one of Malnupiravir's key patrons, has dubbed this group of shady bioweapons operators as his secret handshake club. Malnupiravir is a protease inhibitor, that mimics the antiviral properties of ivermectin. Unlike ivermectin, malnupiravir showed safety signals so alarming that some of its co-developers at Emory University protested its introduction into human phase one trials. Among other problems, they cite the possibility that it will cause birth defects. Callahan's boss. Bioweapons enthusiast and former DHHS Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, Robert Cadlick M.D., an unabashed gain-of-function promoter with military and intelligence agency pedigrees who built his career profiting from hyped pandemics, almost single-handedly created the $7 billion National Strategic Stockpile and runs it as a private fiefdom to enrich his friends and connections. Catholic also runs the super-secretive P3CO committee inside of NIH, which greenlights and never denies Tony Fauci's gain-of-function bioweapons research projects. Gain-of-function refers to experiments that intentionally modify a pathogen to create the ability to cause or worsen disease, enhance transmissibility, and or create novel strains with potential to cause global spread in humans. One of Cadillac's many dodgy business partners is John Clerici, a Washington lawyer, lobbyist, and artful rogue who almost single-handedly created the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority, BARDA, a new agency formed after 9-11 under the HHS Office of the Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, ASPR, of which Cadillac was director during the Trump administration. BARDA is a taxpayer-infused investment fund that purchases and develops technology for Cadillac's strategic stockpile and postulated future threats. Clarici boasts that if someone wants to get BARDA money, they've got to go through me. His LinkedIn profile crows that John has assisted over three dozen companies in obtaining nearly $3 billion in funding and research for development and procurement of public health countermeasures for the federal government, including the majority of the awards made under Project BioShield, the U.S. government's initiative for preparing the nation against biological attacks. clarici brandishes also his innovative authorship of the PrEP Act, a corporate welfare boondoggle that bestows protection against liability upon manufacturers and providers of vaccines, and all other pandemic countermeasures to shield them from lawsuits. Under the PREP Act, no matter how negligently or reprehensibly the company behaves, and no matter how grievous the injuries to their victims, the companies cannot be held liable unless the injured party can prove willful misconduct. Even then, a lawsuit can commence only with the approval of the Secretary of HHS. The Defense Threat Reduction Agency, DTRA, another Pentagon bioweapons agency and corporate welfare program for military contractors, provided $10 million in 2013 and 2015 to Emory University to develop molnupiravir as a veterinary drug for horses against equine encephalitis NIAID contributed $19 million, then transferred the toxic drug in a golden handoff to Merck and another drug company, Ridgeback Biotherapeutics, along with a guaranteed market and rich returns. As we shall see in later chapters, DTRA was a major funder of EcoHealth Alliance, Peter Dozak's charity that sought out lethal animal viruses around the world, retrieving the most deadly. For the Pentagon. In June 2021, as FDA and NIAID were cranking up the medical cartel's opposition against IVM, the HHS agreed to purchase 1.7 million five day treatment courses of malnupiravir from Merck for $1.2 billion. When the drug wins FDA approval, a contingency that can be virtually guaranteed. While Anthony Fauci is Washington's drug kingmaker. On June 9, 2021, President Biden dutifully reiterated the U.S. government's commitment to procure approximately 1.7 million courses of the NIAID funded drug from Merck. BARDA collaborated with a confederacy of other shady Defense Department operatives, including the DoD Joint Program Executive Office for Chemical. Biological, Radiological, and Nuclear Defense, JPEO, CBRND, and the Army Contracting Command on the $1.2 billion purchase. Not only was the drug developed with taxpayer money, but its $712 per dose price to the taxpayer is 40 times more than Merck's $17.64 cost of production. Merck, which expects to make $7 billion per year on the new blockbuster, saw its stock price spike on news of the government contract and after President Biden's televised plug. With so many powerful and important godfathers and the United States president fully committed, it would be unprecedented for FDA to deny authorization to Molnupiravir, no matter how disastrous the clinical trial results may be. Merck is so certain of FDA's approval that by September 2020, it was already scaling up manufacturing, even though its clinical trials are still underway. Merck announced in October 2021 that Molnupiravir had shown game-changing results against COVID in clinical trials reducing hospitalizations and deaths by 50% against a placebo. The news of the efficacy of this particular antiviral is obviously very good news, trumpeted the White House Chief Medical Advisor and Pharma Spokesperson Anthony Fauci. The FDA will look at the data and, in the usual very efficient, very effective way, will evaluate the data as quickly as they possibly can, and then it will be taken from there. Horse Drugs As Merck stood poised to release its new horse drug, Molnupiravir, onto the market, the other U.S. behemoth, Pfizer, was racing Merck neck and neck with its own antiviral pill, PF07321332, an ivermectin knockoff that is so similar to IVM, except, of course, in price point, that critics call it pyzermectin, Like IVM, it is also a protease inhibiting antiparasitic. With these two new drugs teed up for a simultaneous FDA approval, the entire medical media cartel launched a final coordinated coup de grace against IVM, branding it a dangerous horse drug. Mainstream media outlets across the U.S. and overseas obediently ran stories promoting the horse medicine propaganda scam. In late August 2021, NIH, FDA, and CDC launched an innovative new campaign to slander ivermectin as a horse dewormer that only deluded, foolhardy nincompoops would consume. Picking up on those themes, the Independent asked, Ivermectin, why are U.S. anti-vaxxers touting a horse dewormer as a cure for COVID? Business Insider warned that people were poisoning themselves trying to treat or prevent COVID-19 with a horse deworming drug. Associated Press assures readers that No evidence ivermectin is a miracle drug against COVID-19. On August 15th, the FDA instructed on its website, You are not a horse. In an August 21st, 2021 Twitter post, the FDA expanded the theme, You are not a horse. You are not a cow. Seriously, y'all, stop it. The White House and CNN also urged listeners that they should avoid veterinary products. CDC joined the chorus, warning Americans to not risk their health consuming a horse dewormer. Elsewhere on its website, the CDC urged black and brown human immigrants to load up on ivermectin. All Middle Eastern, Asian, North African, Latin American, and Caribbean refugees should receive presumptive therapy with ivermectin, two doses, 200 micrograms per kilogram orally once a day for two days before departure to the United States. Whether this was intended to deworm them or to prevent COVID transmission during travel to the U.S. is unclear. Only GreenMedInfo, a health news and information site, saw through the chicanery, a media smear campaign timed to clear market for Pfizer's ivermectin clone drug, which will be hailed as a miracle. Demonizing IVM as a horse drug was, of course, ironic, given that NIAID initially developed Merck's replacement therapy, Molnupiravir, as a horse drug. Furthermore, calling ivermectin a horse drug is like calling antibiotics a horse drug. Many long-established basic drugs are, of course, effective in all mammals because they work on our shared biology. But facts be damned, media companies called all hands on deck to push these stories. Ivermectin's devastating effectiveness against infections from parasites and solid 40-year history of proven safety have made it also the world's most prescribed veterinary medicine, but the Nobel Prize was for those billions of times it helped humans, and the government's silly safety warnings were, of course, specious. Compare Ivermectin's safety record to Dr. Fauci's two chosen COVID remedies, Remdesivir, which hospital nurses have dubbed, run, death is near, and the COVID vaccines. Over 30 years, ivermectin has been associated with only 379 reported deaths, an impressive death-per-dose reporting ratio of 1 per 10,584,408. In contrast, over the 18 months since remdesivir received an EUA, about 1.5 million patients have received remdesivir, with 1,499 deaths reported, a dire 1 per 1,000 D-D ratio. Meanwhile, among recipients of COVID jabs in the U.S. during the 10 months following their rollout, some 17,000 deaths have occurred following vaccination, a reported D-D ratio of 1 per 13,250. Ivermectin, therefore is thousands of times safer than remdesivir and COVID vaccines. The science also indicates that it is far more effective than either. Dr. Fauci himself took early charge of spreading the rumor that ivermectin was poisoning deluded Americans. Don't do it, he told pharma propagandist Jake Tapper of CNN in an August 29, 2021 interview. There is no evidence whatsoever that that works, and it could potentially have toxicity. With people who have gone to poison control centers because they've taken the drug at a ridiculous dose and wind up getting sick, there's no clinical evidence that indicates that this works. Jake Tapper, who has sounded progressively more like a farmer rep than a journalist as the lockdown dragged on, slavishly parroted Dr. Fauci's new talking point. Poison control centers are reporting that their calls are spiking in places like Mississippi and Oklahoma because some Americans are trying to use an anti parasite horse drug called ivermectin to treat coronavirus to prevent contracting coronavirus. It mattered not that both Mississippi and Oklahoma officials quickly denied that anyone in their state had been hospitalized for IVM poisoning. An AP story claimed that 70% of calls to the Mississippi Poison Control Center were for ivermectin overdoses. It turned out perhaps 2% of calls were. Barely anyone saw the grudging retractions. Additional news articles reported alleged rises in ivermectin-related overdoses in other states. These, too, were exaggerated. Kentucky Poison Control acknowledged a slight uptick in calls about veterinary ivermectin overdose, about six per year compared to an average of one per year. Despite claims of mass poisoning, the media could not find a single case of IVM leading to death or hospitalization. People were not dying from horse ivermectin overdoses. They were certainly not dying from appropriately dosed and prescribed oral ivermectin but many were dying from untreated COVID-19. Bill Gates' surrogate group, Gavi, asked in a press release, how did a drug many use to treat parasites in cows come to be of interest to doctors treating humans with COVID-19? The characterization was especially insincere. Gates Foundation and Gavi were, at that moment, distributing millions of doses of ivermectin annually to Indian children for filariasis and to Africans for river blindness and filariasis. It wasn't just the safe drug and caring physicians that were under attack. When, in September 2021, the popular comedian and podcast host Joe Rogan announced he'd kicked COVID in just a few days, Using a cocktail of drugs including ivermectin, the global press, government, and pharmaceutical interests coalesced to denounce, vilify, and gaslight him. NPR, which has taken $3 million from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, jumped on the dogpile and deceptively insinuated that Rogan took horse-level doses. Joe Rogan has told his Instagram followers he has been taking ivermectin, a deworming veterinary drug formulated for use in cows and horses to help fight the coronavirus. The Food and Drug Administration has warned against taking the medication, saying animal doses of the drug can cause nausea, vomiting, and in some cases, severe hepatitis. But Rogan never took veterinary ivermectin paste. Rogan said he had talked with multiple doctors who advised him to take the drug. He followed their advice, and he got well remarkably quickly. Rolling Stone, the one-time banner of the counterculture, had by 2021 devolved into a reliable mouthpiece for medical cartel orthodoxies. In October 2021, Rolling Stone announced that it had removed from its website a 2005 article linking mercury in vaccines to brain injuries in children. Rolling Stone also reported that Oklahomans overdosing on ivermectin horse dewormer were causing emergency rooms to be so backed up that gunshot victims were having hard times getting access to health facilities. An accompanying photo purported to depict the long line of ambulatory gunshot casualties seeking hospital admission to an Oklahoma emergency room already filled to capacity with dingbats poisoned by a horse dewormer. The Rolling Stone story spread like wildfire among the world's reigning media outlets, including the Daily Mail, Business Insider, Newsweek, Yahoo News, The Guardian, and The Independent, many of which rely on Gates Foundation largesse. MSNBC's news host, Rachel Maddow, told her audience that patients are overdosing on ivermectin, backing up rural Oklahoma hospitals, ambulances. Ivermectin is meant for a full-size horse, she explained. She repeated that the victims first gullibly swallowed the false claims of anti-vaxxers before guzzling down horse dewormer. The ERs are so backed up, that gunshot victims were having hard times getting to facilities where they can get definitive care and be treated. The story, of course, was fraud. Days later, Oklahoma's Sequoia Northeastern Health System posted a categorical denial on its website, dismissing the entire story as mere fabrication. That rolling stone picture of the long lines was an Associated Press stock photo from the previous January a photo of people waiting in line to get vaccines. As it turns out, not a single patient has been treated in Oklahoma for ivermectin overdose. Instead of retracting the article, Rolling Stone simply posted an attention-dodging update at the top of the article reporting the hospital's denial. The Guardian similarly published a nondescript update at the bottom of its article. The FDA doubled down with the claim that IVM may cause serious harm, is highly toxic, and may cause seizures, coma, and even death. As we shall see, these kinds of warnings are far more applicable to COVID shots. The CDC issued an emergency memo on August 26, 2021, warning doctors and pharmacists not to prescribe ivermectin. As Molnupiravir's debut approached, the war against IVM escalated. On September 23rd, the Colorado Department of Law issued a cease-and-desist order and fined a Loveland Medical Clinic $40,000 for marketing and overstating the effectiveness of ivermectin. And pharmacists still willing to dispense ivermectin faced a new problem. The wholesalers began dribbling out a few pills at a time, but not enough for even one prescription per week. All their diabolical tricks seemed the work of winks and nods and a powerful hidden hand, with no corporation or federal agency taking clear responsibility for carrying out a deliberate policy to suppress a life-saving drug. On September 28, the New York Times introduced a new tactic. Reporting that the demand for ivermectin among the crackpots trying to treat COVID had created a shortage for veterinary purposes, warning that any day now, animals might begin to suffer. Peter McCullough laughs at the propaganda. Ivermectin is a molecule that is miraculously effective against parasites and viral infections along multiple pathways and mechanisms of action. It's a molecule. It doesn't care if it's used in a horse or a cow, or a human. The rules of physics and chemistry are the same across species. Pierre Cory concurs. Ivermectin has multiple properties. It operates against COVID along a multitude of separate pathways. In addition to being antiparasitic, it also has potent antiviral properties and even protects against SARS-CoV-2 spike protein damage. The osteopath Dr. Joseph Mercola observed, This idea that ivermectin is a horse dewormer that poses a lethal risk to humans is pure horse manure shoveled at us in an effort to dissuade people from using a safe and effective drug against COVID-19. The intent is clear. What our so-called health agencies and the media are trying to do is confuse people into thinking of ivermectin as a veterinary drug which simply isn't true. Ultimately, what they're trying to do is back up the big pharma narrative that the only thing at your disposal is the COVID shot.